0: Well, I want to uh tell you about an experience that I had probably eight years ago. Some of you have heard it before, but i 'm going to tell it again. Camille and I were in Walmart and we were on a, it was a Sunday afternoon at my day off. I usually take a day off on sundays, and uh, we were in Walmart when we were living in New Hampshire, and uh Camden was probably about one year, 12 months old, and so she and I and, and uh, Camden were there in Walmart, you know, shopping around, looking for different items on that Sunday afternoon, when, as we were walking through the store, I felt my pocket vibrate. You ever have your pocket vibrate? You know what that's all about, right? You ever have your pocket vibrate, but it doesn't really vibrate? You think it is? That's when you know you're addicted to your phone, right? Amen. But I felt it vibrate, and I thought, okay, there's a text message. In those days, I had one of these really old-fashioned flip phones, right? Some of you have a flip phone, yeah? (laughs) Yes, power to the flip phones. So I pulled it out, and I noticed I had a text message, and I saw that it was from a church member. Now remember, this was what? My day off. And so I am now confronted with this decision... Do I flip open my phone and very quickly read the text message, or do I continue on undistracted with this experience, you know, with my wife and child? Well, I'm sure you know what happened. I flipped it open, and I read the message, and then I was confronted with another decision. Do I respond to the message? And so I thought, it it can't be that that big a deal, and so I started typing, you know, away on my phone, when it's like Camille had the sixth sense. She was looking down, like, you know, marveling at diaper deals and all that sort of thing, but it's like she had the sixth sense, and she said to me, Sean, put your phone away. That was, that was unfortunate enough. But then she said something that kind of rubbed salt in the wound. She said, can't we have just a day for us? Have you ever said that wives to your husbands? Can't we just have a day for us? <laughs> that kind of pricked a little bit as I thought about why I was longing to be attached to my phone, why I was eager to make sure that my church members were being attended to. I am I was so caught up in the moment of hustling for connection and communication and doing my job. And it was just too much for Camille. She said, let's just have a day for us. Let's have a day for us. You know, we live in a society where it's hard to to, to take a breath, isn't it? It's hard to take a break and to pull back. We're all hustling for something. We're hustling for money. We're hustling for approval. We're, We're hustling for bigger houses and bigger cars. And we're hustling for all these sorts of things because we are coming from a place of scarcity, as we've talked about before, where we're, we're trying to find wholeness in these other ventures, in these other avenues, through these other means. And so we're always trying to get more and more and more. And we talked about last week how we're either operating from a place of giving or we're operating from a place of what? What was the other option? Taking. We're either giving or we're taking. Taking. We are taking from others because we're trying to make ourselves feel whole. We're trying to address some emptiness or something missing in our life. But when we operate from a place of wholeness, we're able to give out to others because we are not lacking. We have an abundance. Well, there's an interesting story that I want to I take a few moments to notice. And it's in the book of Exodus in the Bible. And uh, just to remember where we are in the big story of God, remember that God made some promises to Abraham, and he said, through Abraham's family, the whole world would be blessed. Well, unfortunately, Abraham's family found themselves in Egypt as slaves, and they were there serving who was known as Pharaoh, and for years, hundreds of years, they were in slavery to pharaoh and his nation well god rose up this man named moses and moses was told by god that he was going to lead israel who were known as the children of israel at that time he was going to lead the children of israel out of slavery out of egypt into the land of canaan from which they would be able to bless the whole world from that prime location There's a little problem, of course. You think Pharaoh was interested in letting Israel just go out without any repercussions? Well, notice what happens. We read in the book of Exodus this exchange. Afterward, Moses has gone out into the wilderness, but afterward he comes, and Moses and Aaron, who is his brother, his his older brother, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, thus says the Lord God of Israel. We know this line even if we've never been to church. Let my people what? go. That was a famous line in what a musical, was it? Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? This is a very specific name, by the way. In Hebrew, it's Yahweh. This was the very specific name of God that that the Bible gives us. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, Nor will I let Israel go. So they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with a sword. We're not going to unpack that last clause. Let's just put that on the shelf, and maybe someday we'll come back to it, okay? Maybe long in the future. Why would Moses and Aaron think this about God? That's another story. That's not the point of the talk this morning. But nevertheless, they were saying, let us go out into the wilderness. Let us... Let us worship our God. Now notice what Pharaoh says. Then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. So Pharaoh is, his, he's focused on this labor. He's focused on production. He's focused on working more and more and more. And notice what he says next. And Pharaoh said, look, The people of the land are many now, and you make them what? You make them rest from their labor. So Pharaoh's upset. He's saying, I have you guys in my servitude to produce. I have you in my servitude to to bring more and more production to our lands. We need you to work and work and work. And you know, the old uh, lie there during World War II, work leads to freedom, is what the Jews were told in the in the concentration camps. And so Pharaoh has this mentality, work, work, work. Do you ever feel like you're overwhelmed by that experience yourself? Like there's never any let up? It just keeps coming and coming and coming and coming? It's because we live in a world that is full of people who are taking, don't we? We, we live in a society that is predicated upon the idea of consumption, don't we? I remember after September 11th, when uh, things took a turn for the worse after that horrific tragedy. I remember President Bush, and this is not a political statement, but I remember President Bush saying that in order for us to get back to normal, what did Americans need to do? We need to go shopping. Shop more and more and more and more. Consume more and more and more. Because our society is predicated upon the idea that we need to consume And in order for us to consume, we need people to produce those things that we're consuming. And this is the way the world operates so often, is that we are a society of takers. We are a society of consumers. And so we need people to produce the goods so that we can consume them. Well, notice what happens. So the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers saying, You shall no longer give the people straw to make brick as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. And you shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before. You shall not reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry out, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let more work be laid on the men, that they may labor in it, and let them not regard let them not regard false words. And the taskmasters of the people and their officers went out and spoke to the people saying, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go get yourself straw where you can find it. Yet none of you, your work will be reduced. So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. So you, ch- you see what's happening here. Pharaoh's like, you know, if you're going to be resistant, I'm going to add more work to you. You see, when we are working from a system of taking... When people cross our wills, what we like to do often is to get back at them and add more to their load. And we, out of bitterness and spite and anger, we give them more and more and more, and we take more and more and more. You know, what's interesting is that in those days, the Pharaoh was considered to be a god himself. The Pharaoh, later on, represented the gods. And so this system, this theology, which is what what we The word we use, a big fancy word we use for the study of God. This theology in Egypt was that of a God who requires his subjects to serve him on his behalf so that he can sit back and relax and rest. It's interesting, though, because what happens is the children of Israel, through a series of events, they eventually are freed out of Egypt, and they go make their way to the promised land and they eventually come to, to uh, uh, the Red Sea and they part the Red Sea. God parts it for them and they go across into the, into the promised land and uh, God tells them to do something very strange and specific that must have been weird for them because notice what happens. They are hungry and God promises that he is going to send bread to them. You remember the story? Any of you remember this story? God says he's going to send bread to them, and they are to collect the bread, and every day God would make bread appear on the ground, and each day they were to collect that bread, but then he gave them specific instructions about the sixth day of the week. Check check out what happens later on in Exodus 16. So they gathered the bread every morning, every man according to his need, and when the sun became hot, it melted. But so it was on the sixth day that they gathered what? Twice as much bread. Two omers for each one. And all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. Then he said to them, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest. A holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today. Today. And boil what you will boil, and lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. So they laid it up till morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink, nor were there any worms in it. Then Moses said, eat that today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it. But on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. Now it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people did what? They rested on the seventh day. Check out these, this juxtaposition, these two things that are placed against one another. Pharaoh makes them work and work and work and work and work. God comes along and says, you know what? I'm giving you one day off a week. Isn't that awesome? We, the, Bible, the, the God of the Bible doesn't require us to continue to labor and labor and labor. He doesn't require us to have to hustle 24-7 to gather for ourselves. He doesn't require us to hustle for consumption to take from people. The God of the Bible, of Scripture, gives us permission, at least he gave the Israelites permission, to take a break. You know, it's interesting, if you compare this experience to the other worldviews around Israel at that time, and all of the myths of the creation accounts, because you understand that there were other nations surrounding Israel, and they had their own versions of what happened in creation. In all those other myths, there's a specific reason why the gods create human beings. And check out what it is. This is from something called the Enuma Elish. Now, that's a very fancy, you know, foreign... Phrase, But notice what what it says. I will create Lulu, man, upon him shall the service of the gods be imposed that they, who's they there, do you think? The gods may be at rest. In other words, the reason we are creating human beings is so that they can serve us so that we can rest. That's the, that's, the, that's the view of the nations around them. There's another one, another creation myth. It went like this. Create man that he may bear the yoke, that he may bear the yoke with their blood. Let us create mankind. The service of the gods be their portion for all times. So in the worldviews around them, around them, it was the gods creating human beings so that the human beings could Serve the God so the gods could rest. But along comes the God of Scripture, the God of the Bible, and he says, no, 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 no. I've created you for relationship in the beginning in the creation account. I'm creating you for relationship and the very first full day of life in Adam and Eve's experience, do you know what the very first full day of life was for them? It was the day of rest. Created on the sixth day, the seventh day, God gives them rest because he wants fellowship with human beings. He is not looking for human beings to serve him so that he can rest. As a matter of fact, when Jesus comes along a few thousand years later, Jesus goes out and on the seventh day, the Sabbath, he is healing people. He is alleviating their suffering and pain. And some of the the strict Jews at that time who had forgotten why the Sabbath was given... They started complaining that Jesus was healing people. And Jesus says, you don't understand. You you guys don't understand. I am working now on this day, and my Father is working. You see, on the Sabbath day, God takes responsibility for our welfare, our well-being. And he says, you don't have to work because I got this. I got this. I got this. I'm giving you rest on this day. You don't have to work for me. I'm working for you. And so you and I can can find rest and we can find solace and we can find peace on that day because God is a God of relationship who gives us rest. You know, so important was this idea that did you know that at the very heart of what is called the Ten Commandments, God places this as a command. In fact, it's the longest of the Ten Commandments. It's the longest... Verses in the Ten Commandments, and so important was this idea that in the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments, written by God's own finger, the Bible tells us the only thing we have in Scripture that we know was written by God's finger. God puts this command. Notice what it says in Exodus twenty verses eight through eleven: Remember the Sabbath day to do what? Keep it holy. Set it aside. It's important. We we get so busy with life that God actually commands that we rest. Isn't that amazing? That God, like, he says, you know, I know what's best for you. I am going to make sure that you rest. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it only. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. Now check out what else he says. You shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle. God even cares about our dumb animals? You know, this is a society, of course, where they were agrarian. They had cattle. They had cows and sheep and goats and horses who were doing work. And, and they were so used to the system, the oppressive system of work, 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 that God said, I'm, this is such a serious and important idea to me that I'm going to have your dumb, stupid animals rest as well. Forgive me if you're offended because I call animals stupid. But he says, this is so important to me. He says, for in six days the Lord made, by the way, sorry, he also says, your strangers who are within your gates, those who are within your care, extend rest to them. He says, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. You know, he comes along later on in Deuteronomy, and he also uh repeats the 10 commandments and the reason he gives for the 4th commandment is he says remember after he goes through this whole thing again he says and remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt remember how you guys were worked to the bone remember that and so he invites the children of Israel to enter into that rest as a as a as a, a movement of of uh, subversion against what they were experiencing in Egypt. He says, Remember, you are a slave in Egypt. This is after he says, Give your slaves rest as well. And the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. What would happen? What would happen? If you and I participated in a weekly act of resistance from the over-consumerism and materialism and work-but-no-play existence that this country and this world experiences? What would happen if we said, you know what, I'm going to rest because God gives me rest, and I'm going to extend rest to others. I'm going to be subversive. I'm going to undermine the system that we have that requires more and more and more and more consumption. I would bet you if we as, as, a, as a community, if we said, you know what, we're going to say no to the culture of constant production and consumption, and we're going to take a break every week, we're going to take a break every week, and we're going to refuse to participate in the 24 four seven experience of consumption. I bet amazing things could happen. I bet. Notice what this author says. I'm winding down here, but notice what this author says. I love this. Sabbath is the great day of equality when all are equally at rest. Not all are equal in production. Some perform much more effectively than others. Not all are equal in consumption. Some have greater access to consumer goods. In a society defined by production and consumption, There are huge gradations of performance and therefore of worth and significance. In such a social system, stick with me, I know there's some big words here, but in such a social system, everyone is coerced to perform better, produce more, consume more, be a good shopper. Such valuing, of course, creates haves and have-nots, significant and insignificant, rich and poor, people with access, and people denied access. But Sabbath breaks that gradation caused by coercion. On the Sabbath, amen, hallelujah, you do not have to do more. Amen? You do not have to sell more. You do not have to control more. You do not have to know more. You do not have to have your kids in ballet or soccer. You do not have to be younger or more beautiful. Amen? (laughs) You do not have to score more. Because this one day, this one day, breaks the pattern of coercion. All are like you, equal. Equal worth, equal value, equal access, equal rest. Just in a day. It levels the playing field. It's an act, I would propose to you, an act of social justice. To say, you know what? You know what? I'm going to refuse to require other people to serve me on this day. I'm going to rest in Jesus. I'm going I'm to find my value and worth in him. I'm not going to hustle for, for wholeness anymore. You know, as I was thinking about this this week, Camille and I had some house guests this week. And uh, it was a couple from New Brunswick, of all places. Any of you ever been to New Brunswick? And uh, he, the husband is a pastor in New Brunswick, and we had met them this summer at, uh, when I was speaking in, in Nova Scotia. And uh, he was sharing with me his, his journey, and I, I, I stopped him. I said, wait a minute, i gotta, I got to end my sermon with your story here, because it's really, really fascinating. And so um, what happened was he was raised as a Sabbath-keeping Seventh-day Adventist. But after he went through college, he found himself on an interesting career path. He had aspirations to become a very accomplished acrobat. And uh, he eventually uh, got hired by Disney, and he did shows with Disney. Um, And then he met some friends, and they said, we can get you into Hollywood, and we can uh, have you be a stunt double Uh, in Hollywood. And so they said, what you just should do first, though, is try to get into Cirque du Soleil. you familiar with Cirque du Soleil? Probably the most well-known, famous uh, acrobat, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Ensemble, Ensemble, yeah, in the world. And so sure enough, he was able to get hired by Cirque du Soleil, and um, he became, I don't remember what his position was with them, but uh, he said he was, he met all sorts of celebrities and one time Tom Cruise and Katie Holmes came backstage and they were interacting together. But you know, early on, um, the, the people who ran the company said, you're going to you know, have to work seven days a week. And he thought to himself, man, I need that Sabbath, that Saturday day off. But um, he decided, you know what, he was going to compromise. And so he decided that he would work seven days a week and he would work on Saturdays. And he said for the next two and a half years, he was the most miserable he's ever been in his life. He felt like he was not following God's invitation to rest on on Saturday, on Sabbath. And uh, as things would turn out, he actually got injured as he was performing. And he had to be laid up for a little while. And um, he was given a book by his dad. It was called Messiah. And it's a, a book that, that uh, describes the life of Jesus, and it goes through his journey. And he said, when he read that book, now, I should also clarify that he was dyslexic, and he had never read a book in his life. So he went through that whole book just eating it all up, and he fell in love with Jesus. And he wanted to give his heart whole life and his whole heart to Jesus. Eventually, his dad came out to visit him, and he said, I want to go to church with you. And of course, my friend Ricky hadn't been going to church, so he's like, Ugh, better find a church to make it look like I've been going to for a while. And uh, so like we, the week before his father came, he went and he found a church in Las Vegas, and he noticed that it was an all-black church. And he thought, oh, man, this isn't going to go well. My dad's going to you know, know that I wasn't going to this church. But as he sat outside the church, he noticed there was a few non-black folk that were going into it, and he said, okay, I'm fine, I'll, I'll be okay. So they showed up the next week, and as he walked through the door with his dad, the man who greeted them said, well, welcome to our church. We've never seen you before here. <laughs> but as it turns out, that church embraced him, and they, they, brought, they, they led him in, and he felt so welcome and so loved by them. And he committed his life to Jesus, and he committed himself to, to God's people. And he went back to Cirque de Soleil, and he said, I'm going to need Sabbaths off. And they said, we can't do that. They said, if you want to go anywhere in the entertainment business, you've got to drop this Sabbath. But he said, you know what? I've fallen in love with Jesus, and he's given me this day of rest. And so he quit, and he's now a pastor in New Brunswick. But he, he, he resisted. He resisted. The, the weekly resistance. What would happen if we were that, a group of people who subverted the constant need for consumption, the constant need for entertainment, the constant need for Going 100 miles an hour each week and, and saying, you know God, you've given me this rest. I want to enter into that rest. And I want to extend that rest to others. Power to the people. To the people. Let's start the resistance, right, Jim? Let's start the resistance, the weekly resistance, to refuse to, to be, participate 24-7 in that constant consumption and work and, and consumerism. Let's sing a song that speaks about resting, that speaks about having our souls be still and resting in the work of Jesus. Let's stand together as we sing the song Still. We've sung it a number of times before. Come rest my soul.